I'm Jamie. And I'm Beth. Welcome to Thief Steals the Podcast. Well, I steal the podcast. And I steal it back. Okie dokies. This week we are talking about the 13th episode of the third season, The Morning After Job. Beth, how did you feel about it? Okay. I I have some interesting thoughts on this episode. Okay. So, first of all, I just want to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was not that far off. In my prediction, it was kind of the morning after a romantic rendezvous. It didn't pan out how I would have imagined, but I also, like, wasn't wrong. No, you did, in fact, miss the bit where they fully gaslight the mark into thinking that he killed Parker. Yeah, yeah. I also, actually, I really enjoyed that, like, obviously you see Nate, like, spike the glass or whatever. I, like, I did have, like, I obviously, when he was doing it, my first thought was like, oh, they're going to drug him. Like, okay, yeah. like, no worries. But then you see Parker being, like, fake dead. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe it was a sedative for Parker so that she appears more, like, floppy and, like, whatever. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, they showed they did drug him. So I was like, yeah. oh, that's, like, really interesting because it made me think about the intention of the drugging in, yeah. like, three separate occasions. And each time it changed my, like, opinion on what they must have done. Mm. And I thought that was really cool because, like, normally it's – I mean, normally it's pretty straightforward. You're like, oh, they're going to drug the dude. Yeah. They're not going to drug Parker. But, like, just the way that it was set out, I was like, and, like, because leverage Mm -hmm. does that thing so often where they're like, let's subvert what you think happened by showing you the thing that happened. And so I thought it was fun that, like, even most of the way through three seasons in, like, I'm still expecting leverage to surprise me in the way that they conduct their their cons. Like, I know part of me, like, expects them to do something that's more unhinged than what you would expect. Yeah. Um, I do yeah. love, though, that, yes, no, they do, in fact, drug the dude, and then Parker gets to play dead. And... The funniest thing is she's so excited about it too. She's like, I could literally do that in my sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Obsessed. I love her. And I think that's such a fun like line because it alludes to exactly what's going to happen, but you don't know that because also like I could do it in my sleep is just a common phrase. Like I assumed she was going to lift something from him. Yeah. Like because, duh, you know, but the fact that it was actually like just be unconscious for a bit, like, or pretend to be unconscious. Incredible. What else is incredible in this episode that I love so much is, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Do you know what's so funny about that is it wasn't the actual Ghostbusters bit that her saying that, like, got me. I mean, I love that. I love that. But the best bit is Elliot's resigned again. She's done this before. No, do you know what my favourite part is? How fucking proud of herself she looks because she has that little grin on her face the whole rest of the scene i'm like yes baby be proud of your joke (laughs) i love it for her of course you love that bit though because like let's face it that is so fucking dean coded (laughs) you're not wrong put dean in that same situation he would also he would make that joke like yeah yeah no you're so right you're so right Oh, we also get, oh my God, there's actually so much, I was going to make a completely different point, but honestly, I'm just distracted by the fact that there is so much good Parker in this episode. Yeah. Like, and it's not like a Parker episode, but for some reason, like, she just, she's just, she goes off and I love it for her. Mm -hmm. I love it. Like, oh my God, we get so much, so many fun lines where she's like, remember when I was the carrot and I stabbed somebody and then like sending her off and she's like, don't stab, don't stab, don't stab, don't stab. stab." And I'm like obsessed, obsessed with I love the fact though that she does get to taser him at the end. Oh my God, yes. She didn't get to stab him, but she does get to taser him. And I love that for her. I love that for her and I love that she loves to taser people. It's a choice. (laughs) I also just love her entire interactions with McSweeten. Because we get McSweeten back in this episode, who I adore. He is he is a madman. I'm obsessed with McSweeten. But, like, I want to study him like a bug. But also, like, I don't blame him. I also would be in love with Parker. Like, it, no questions asked. Here's the thing. Part of me wants to dissect him like a bug. Yeah. Part of me wants to wrap him up in a blanket and hand him a hot bowl of soup. Because that man has been through some shit he doesn't yeah. even know about. No, he has like, no idea. I'm like, oh, you precious little baby bean. And he didn't even have Taggart with him to, like, help yeah. with this time. Because Taggart's off teaching Krav Maga. Like, I love it. Um, no, I love McSweden. I really love when those guys show up. I think mm-hmm. it's such a fun little... They're just such fun, like, recurring yeah. characters. Like, they're really, like... To put it in terms that I think you'll understand, they're the Ed and Harry of Leverage. Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
They're just such a fun little addition. I love when they pop up. You always know when they show up that they're going to be, they're usually like a fun, like comedic relief, Mm -hmm. you know? So you know that you sort of get that levity in the episode, but you also know that like, as soon as you know they're there, you know what dynamics are going to come into play. Like, you know that they're going to have Mick Sweden being like sweet on Parker. We know that Hardison's going to be a bitch about it. (laughs) Like, him being like, you know, you distract Mick Sweetheart, you know, like obsessed and it's just it's really fun having them there and also they're just kind of silly goofy boys like they don't <laughs> you know they're not necessarily great at their jobs no they're terrible they're at their so jobs. bad at their jobs <laughs> but, they're useless but, but they have them. like good intentions yeah yeah like they kind of remind me of cj from brooklyn 99 yeah like absolute buffoonery but, yeah. like, their hearts are in the right place, yeah. you know? He's a little confused, but he's got, got the, the spirit. spirit. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, when he opens the boot and finds the guy with, the, oh, my God, the little green bow on his head. Green is Parker's favorite color. Like, I am not kidding. I am obsessed with that choice. I love that she went out of her way to, like, find that and stick it on his head with a little note. It's so funny. Either that or she already had it on hand. Yeah, for some reason. Anyway, but then he, like, he reads the note and he's, like, all chuffed and then he closes the boot. The boot was a but here's the thing I, you're an insane person I love you in my head after he closes the book he goes oh shit and yeah. then he like opens <laughs> like he I, was so distracted by it like, oh but I'm sorry <laughs> but no he's yeah just the fact that he like he opens the boot to this dude just like banging like no questions asked about how this dude got there other than the note left by Parker and then he immediately shuts the boot on this dude again it's like so funny. I actually, though, I am glad that that prisoner ended up being, like, important to the plot. Because when they were told, like, first mm. of all, I want to give, like, a, a, an MVP award. Yeah. We don't do this no. on this podcast. But we've just been on Supernatural Opinions and with they KJ. Do it. And they do it. So we're just, like, for one episode only. We're going to steal your segment, KJ. Hi, we love you. Um, They're never <laughs> listening to this because they haven't watched they Leverage. They Leverage. But look. One day. Put it out there. We're gonna, I'm going to steal their segment for a hot minute and assign an MVP. The MVP of this episode, and I will, you know, accept debate on this because I think there's an yeah. argument for a lot of the characters. Hardison. Mm-hmm. Hardison, who did such a good job building them fake police aliases that they were not only given an actual car, responded to an actual dispatch call, but were actually given a real fucking prisoner to transfer. What? Obsessed with this. Obsessed. And then, fuck it, the whole time, Elliot is giving him shit. And I'm like, you know what, Elliot? Shut the fuck up. He's doing such a good fucking job. Like, I don't want to hear any slander about my boy Hardison. He has put in the fucking time, the effort. Like, while you're sitting alone in your room at night watching hockey fights... Because you never know when you're going to have to fight a guy on the ice. Also, like, Loki, queer-coded, like men and their intricate rituals, you know? But Hardison is out here just doing the most and he never gets the recognition and Elliot always takes the piss and it annoys me so much. Like, I love Elliot, but I'm like, my bro, my dude, have some appreciation. Hardison is out here just absolutely changing the motherfucking game. Though it does tie into Hardison's thing of he always goes overboard. Mm, mm-hmm. Like he does it with character work, he does it with alien, like, and a lot of the times it really does pay off for him to go overboard, especially with like the aliases and the background research and that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. like, well, even like in this episode when Hardison is like they're using the recording of the guy's lawyer to um mm. to trick him into thinking that he's in Japan and like yeah. to call Nate right, and I was like, oh, that's very cool, that's very clever, but. What was interesting for me was watching Hardison doing his job that he does all the fucking time and having Elliot being like, oh, that one. And I was like, you fucking no, duh, man. Like, let him do his fucking job. Like, you know, you know. The sibling energy in that entire scene oh my was God. so real. So real. Like, it, you know, when you're like at work or something and you're like, you're trying to do something so simple, like type an email or something, but someone's standing behind you and like for all of a sudden you're like, I can't type anymore. Like I can usually type 160 words a minute. And now all of a sudden I've made 1200 errors, you know, like, and then you send the email without the attachment. And it's literally just because someone is like, there, like talking to you or, or like just the fact that they're there and you're like, Ugh, you know, I was like, 
It's like backseat driving. But worse, because they're trying to con a dude and, like, you know, timing is of the essence. You can't just have this weird pause between sentences. Like, that's not how conversation typically works, my man. So, anyway, I was like, Elliot, back off! Anyway, sorry, run over. That's why Hardison gets my MVP award for the episode. See, for me, it's the prosecutor who's just doing the most and is so fucking stressed. (laughs) Like, she is... Yeah. She's trying so goddamn hard to do her job. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, nothing is going in her favour. Mm. But also, while we're talking about this, mm-hmm. it ties in. This entire plot with Mark Vector being a witness, we have already seen this plot before. Mm. Back in the three cards, like, the Monty cre- card yeah. Monty job. Because this is the case that they have the ledger and that they're going after. So it's... It's all coming back. <laughs> it's all coming back. Like, so even episodes where it's, like, they're not necessarily, like... The three-card Monty job isn't necessarily related to Moro, but it's related to Vector, and so mm. therefore it is related to Moro. Like, it's not like... It's very spiderwebby. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels like... um, You know when you look at a really complicated family tree? Yeah. It kind of feels like that. Like, and I, I mean, I guess it essentially is. Like, at the top, you have, in this case, like a patriarch, which is Moro. Yeah. Who is, like, where you start drawing the bloodline yeah. connections from. And then it drops down from there and down from there and down from there. And so basically what the team has done is they've picked someone who is, like, a lower ranking in that, like, descendancy, basically. And they'll, like, work their way up to Moro. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the plan. So, yeah, like, it's it's obviously not a linear line. No. It's a bit of a wibbly-wobbly one. And they're jumping around a bit. And, like, the other thing is it's not, like, a straightforward family tree. Like, it's not just, like, you know, one person has two kids and then those two kids have two kids. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of, like, you know, you've got people, like, switching departments and, like, moving around. So it's, like, they may be – and also people will be connected to more than one person. So it's, yeah. like, Keller's obviously connected to Moro, but Keller's also connected to Mark Vector because, mm-hmm. like, it's all about, like, how the money moves and that sort of stuff as well. It kind of feels like – you know how, like, you make, like, a mind map? But then, like, when you've got too many things and it's, like, too convoluted, the mind map just gets so hard. And it's kind of like you need to make it into 3D so you've got a bit more space to play with. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is so convoluted and complicated that, like, you need to have, like, a 3D experience. Like, I need to be in VR so I can draw the appropriate connections, you know? But, yeah, like, I feel like I need to be standing in a space and, like, be able to draw around me. Like, you know how you have, like, a whiteboard or, like, yeah. a pinboard with all the red string? Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to be surrounded. Like, I need to stand in a cubicle made of whiteboards so I can connect strings across space so that I yeah. can sort of visualize it. But I'm not a visual person. Okay. Um, it's So I – this is probably coming out sounding like I'm a lunatic, but <laughs> – this is, like, I would need that level of intricacy to be actually able to fully comprehend how everything is tied together. And, like, I think part of why I've been struggling so much to see, like, where the plot is and, like, how it all connects is because it is not linear. Like, mm-hmm. and it, it's one of those things, and I think I've said this in a previous episode, but it's worth reinstating, is, like, I am so sure that when I come to the end of the season, they'll, like, everything will make a lot more sense. The same way in every Leverage episode, you get to the end and they do the reveals and it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But the thing is, without having that context, you cannot see the whole picture. It's kind of like you've got a whole bunch of points and a whole bunch of string, but no string is connected to any other string. You've just got so much fucking string. And at the end, they go, this string connects here and that connects there and that connects there and that connects there. And you connect them all and you step back and it's like, oh my fucking God. Mm. It's like, oh, you just needed that last piece in the puzzle for it to make Mm. sense. But, you know, without that last piece, you're just looking at a fucking mess. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that it's nice. It's nice to yeah. finally get some things connecting. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the Italian. Yeah. Like, no shade to the actress or anything. Mm. But I just don't I find I'm finding her less and less compelling. Yeah. Like I, I, I also not so much the first scene of this episode. Like I think the first scene's pretty good. But the last scene of this episode, I'm kind of like, oh, that just seemed kind of It falls flat. Yeah. Like, and I think that's really sad because, like, I, personally, I really like the actress who plays the Italian. Like, mm. I think she's done a fantastic job all season of being kind of that, like, menacing without being, like... You know how a lot of times when a character is, like, quote-unquote menacing, they're, mm. like, physically aggressive or they're, like... 
Yeah. But this feels like, uh, it feels a very, like, insidious, sort of, like, manipulative. Yeah. Sort of. Which I prefer. Menacing. Over the physicality. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I, I, I kind of really love that, like, manipulative, menacing. Like, it gives me kind of Ruby vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and so I normally really like it, but the scene at the end, I think it just fell flat for some reason, which I think is a real shame because... It's- it's a bummer. Like, yeah. I feel like somehow they've lost some tension there. Yeah. And I don't really understand how. Like, I actually feel like there's more tension between Nate and the team about the Italian yeah. than there is between Nate and the, the Italian. Italian. So it kind of feels like this weird mm. lull in what should be, like, that moment at the end of the episode where she, like, calls and he, she's like, you know, our hands are clean, like, he's taking the bait kind of thing. That should be like a... <gasps> moment like an yeah. oh oh no moment like an, but it just oh, kind of, her plan was not to make him go after Moreau in her way mm. her plan was to basically set him down this path knowing that he's an obsessive bastard yeah and if you can set him down the path he will finish the path like i think that the analogy like with ruby is quite a good one because that moment should have been the like I'm awesome monologue yeah. moment where you're like this this is the bitch yeah you like you know she is you know, killing it out here. But it wasn't. It just kind of felt like, meh. But yeah, for some reason, it just kind of fall, yeah, falls flat. And I find her less... Like, even though she made that phone call at the yeah. end and we're like, oh, no, you know. I, I honestly find her less intimidating mm. and less kind of, like... Because she gets one up on Nate. Yeah. But I don't feel like she did. Like, no. it feels like Nate had the final word even though she literally had, had the, the final, final word. word. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just that scene or what, but I'm just not loving that aspect. Yeah. For some, it just feels... Yeah. Though that was very negative, and it's my job to be positive. So I will say the one thing that I do love specifically about the Italian in this episode is her just going, you know, the, sni- the, the sniper was an outside contractor. They're so fucking unreliable. Like, yeah. She's, she's like, okay, yeah, well, everything else went perfectly to plan, but the fucking sniper, man. Yeah. Can't, can't get good help these days. <laughs> Which is like gonna give him a bad review on Yelp. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I I do like here's the thing though, like I do think that the concept of the Italian is interesting. And yeah. normally I like quite enjoy when she shows up because you're like, ooh, like spicy, you know? But and also that bitch is all for the drama. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for some reason, I don't know. It's it's just I'm much more invested in what the team is doing yeah. than what she is doing. And, like, that's probably bad because yeah. I probably should be paying a lot of attention to what she's doing. But I'm also just like, I don't know. I just don't find it as interesting. Yeah. No, and that's perfect. Like, I, uh, yeah, I think also, like, at this point they've kind of, they've, I don't know, it's like they've sim- simultaneously, like, underutilized the Italian and also overused Yes. That's like, what it is. It's like, they just don't seem to be... They, they seem to be using her over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the same yeah. way, rather than sort of giving her, like, a lot of variety. So it feels like they're not giving her a lot to do, do you know what I, but they're also giving her way too much to do in the sense of, like, it's all the same stuff. Yeah, I actually, I think that might be it, because as a character, she doesn't really have a character. Yeah. Like, her purpose is to show up, be kind of an asshole, mm-hmm. and then leave. But she's and like, don't get me wrong, I love that for her. Oh, I yeah. love female characters who show up, be an asshole, and then leave. But, like, I don't I don't feel like she's being fleshed out. Like, I don't yeah. feel like they're utilising her potential. Mm. And I hope... I mean, we've got a couple episodes left. Yeah. And obviously, like, the plot is heating up. Obviously, she's going to be involved yeah. with this whole situation. No, she just completely disappears <laughs> like, now. This Next is the end of her. Fuck off, like... Yeah. yeah. So... I'm really hoping that we get a little bit more out of her, that we get yeah. a bit more actual character. Because I think at the moment, like, she's obviously playing a role. Like, she's... Because she's playing herself in a way because she's playing Nate. Yeah. Like, she's basically doing Sophie's job. And so I would really, really like to see her actually get to be a bit more of her own character. I think that would be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm excited to see what they do with her. Because I have faith they're going to do something. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested to see what it is because yeah you're right I feel like she is both somehow over and underutilized yeah and I'm like let's strike that balance let's find it you know okay while we're sort of like vaguely on vague topics of like Nate mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating because we get the drawing again in this episode yeah so I did we're, notice that. we're tying it back to the end of season two mm. and that sort of stuff as well which like I think is really interesting the fact that like because I have a very specific shot to show, like, I find it 
really fascinating that as like sort of the strategic brain behind the crew, after he was already caught out by Sterling because he went back for the photo, he still has it in a frame on his bedside table. Yeah. Like, and it's... I always think it's interesting when we get to see characters' bedrooms across mm-hmm. any media. Yeah. Like, when we saw Parker's, like, where she yeah. says, you know, like, really Fascinating. interesting. And I think that, like, it is because the bedroom is, yeah. like, symbolically, like, a place where you are most vulnerable. Like, it's, yeah. you know, often it's where you sleep, it's where you get changed. Like, these things where, like, typically either you do it with a people who are very, very close to you or you do it alone, you know. It's your space. Yeah. And so, like... When it comes to film and media, like, typically when you see a bedroom, you see what a character, like, prioritizes above all else. You see the things that they keep closest to them that make that are vulnerabilities or that are key to who they are yeah. as characters. And so for Nate to still have that framed image, I think, is, first of all, a really nice reminder of, like, why he's doing this at all. Like, where he started, especially, like, when we're going up against such a formidable sort of task of taking down Moreau. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, a nice reminder of, like, oh, this is why we got here. Like, it doesn't outline the whole journey, but it does show the instigation yeah. of, like, what tipped Nate into this. Like, you know that whole, like, thing? It's like, wreck on scratch. You're probably wondering how I got here. Like, literally, it's that. Mm-hmm. But in, like, a much more subtle, nuanced way where, like, the audience sees it and immediately recognises it for what it is without having to dwell on it. You don't have to spend dialogue or time on it other than that, like, two-second shot. Where they just show him basically packing it up because now mi casa es su casa, mm. as he says to Parker. So now Parker's pretending mm-hmm. it's her apartment. That's so her apartment. she can't have, like, a... Yeah. A mom, mean, like, a, a clearly a child's drawing on the bedside table. Mm-hmm. Though I do find it hilarious that... Okay, we're going to talk about the harness now. Very quickly before we do, mm-hmm. can I make one other point yeah, on the no, picture? absolutely. I do also want to just, like, this is me absolutely, sh- like, shooting into the stratosphere as, like, a wild out-of-pocket prediction kind of thought. But just when we were, like, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, that is interesting that they link it on that. And, like, when I was watching, I was like, oh, like, character stuff. But, like, thinking out of, like, plot stuff, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's... Like, I'm wondering if somehow IYS could be involved Mm -hmm. here. Because, like, obviously, like, insurance fraud, like, doesn't just happen where the person is, you know, conning the company. Like, also the company can do dodgy shit like they did with Nate and, like, be like, oh, we're not going to pay this out kind of thing. So I wonder, not that that's fraud, but, you know. Yeah. But I'm wondering if maybe it's a hint that there is something from Nate's, like, previous life that is going to become relevant again or like i don't know if maybe maggie is going to come back up like if she is going to be someone that like moro targets as like a threat kind of Mm -hmm. thing like i think personally for me the way i would do it is it's less about sort of that sort of symmetry and more about the fact of this time last season Mm. nate was off the rails yeah like nate was acts like he was yeah he was off the rails and that led it. So I think it's about showing that while he's still the same character, sort of like hinting at sort of that growth since the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Um, or even season one, honestly, like drawing back to Sam. Like, like we're, and it's just a reminder of like where he's come from and where he is now. Mm-hmm. Because he's at a very different mental and emotional state now yeah. than he was at the end of season two. At this point, like, you know, four, like four episodes to the end of the season, mm-hmm. fourth to last episode um was i don't even know but back in season two mm-hmm. you know sophie wasn't there tara was a member of the team he his drinking was getting worse and worse sophie was high not sophie was getting concerned because tara was highlighting the fact that he was drunk all the time that sort of stuff sophie had pretty well cut off all communication because he couldn't just act like a normal fucking human being, human being. yeah like yeah it is really interesting and also actually on that like while we're on nate we even get a throwback to Nate and his dumb hat this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't had a Nate dumb hat in a while. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was interesting that, like, in the same episode that they're showing, we also have a couple instances of him drinking mm-hmm. in this episode. And we see him in the dumb hat. And we, like, see him with the picture. And I was like, this is really interesting. Like, it's it's showing 
where he's come from in season one and season two. And like, yeah, like throwing back to this time last season, he was completely unhinged and off the rails and it was a massive threat to the functioning of the team. And so, yeah, it's really interesting to reflect on that. I also think it's interesting that we also get the shot in this episode of Nate sitting in his father's office, quote unquote, Mm. sitting at the exact bar stool where his father used to break people's fucking hands because they had unpaid gambling debts. Yeah. So it's like, and like in in an episode that is referencing back to the three card Monty job because it's the same case. Yeah. And this is a case that his father was involved in. Mm. So it's like it's making the case more personal for Nate as well, yeah. which is really interesting. But I feel like at this point we're going to cover that more in the next like couple of episodes. Okay. So I don't know if you've got anything else you'd like to say. Well, we you're more than welcome to share. But I think I'm gonna leave my analysis there. So that we can revisit it when we have a bit more context, because I think it will be yeah no, more interesting at a later date when we actually have the evidence to support it. I have two very like yeah. quick notes. They're more about like just lines of dialogue that mm-hmm. I thought were interesting, and then I will absolutely let us steer back yeah. to the harness in the closet because I also want to talk about that. Yes. So number one, no witness, no crime. What the fuck does that mean? That mean that is the dumbest. Like an. I, I recognise that this is not, like, leverage being dumb. I realise that this is, like, them having a take yeah. on, you know, the police. But I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean, my dude? What does that mean? So, so if you just found a dead body and no one was around to see them get murdered, oh, that's just... Well, there's no crime the committed here. Taylor Swift, nobody, no crime. <laughs> yeah, but the key is that there's a body. <laughs> like, but I think, I think more so the point is there is no... Witnesses to prove that Mark Vector is the one that beat him up. Yeah. And because he has so much money, there is no way, like, there is no way, like, yeah. he's going to have the best lawyer. As evidenced in this episode, he had a very good lawyer that they fully gaslit him into thinking he was in Japan. Yeah. Because um, this is basically gaslight the mark of the episode. Yeah. More so than most weeks, I think. Yeah, they really I went think. hard on him seeing Parker come back from the dead. <laughs> but, like, Genuinely speaking, though, like, just the the concept of no witness, no crime. Yeah. Like, I fully understand, like, what you just said. Like, yeah, that makes total sense. I get what they're getting at. But also, it just threw me because I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I, what, so, like, I could throw, I could pull a full um, Jason from The Good Place and throw a Molotov cocktail into someone's personal property and just because no one saw me do it, I didn't commit a crime. Absolutely, that's how it works. I think it's, yeah, I think it's less, like, I think it's meant to be taken less literally. Like, it's yeah, just okay. straight up. It, it's meant to be taken, like, you don't have a witness to prove that you did it, then they can't prove that you did it. Yeah. Basically. Um, but no, what we're going to talk about now, and I'm fully pivoting away from whatever that, oh, no, you said you had two points. I had two points, yes. Okay. Yes, I'm so sorry, and then I'll let you pivot us wherever you want. Okay. My other point was actually, again, about with the Italian, when, you know, Nate is talking to her in that first scene and he gives her, like, the red folder and is explaining, you know, like, I'm being thorough. And he says, and if I need help, and she says, then you're not the man I thought you were. And I was, like, frustrated by this for only because, and, like, not frustrated in a way that I was like, oh, this is unenjoyable, but frustrated because I'm like, fuck me. The one time in any fucking media ever we get... A man being like, you know what? I might actually need outside assistance. And she's like, shuts him down. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? He admits that actually maybe it would be useful to have some backup on this. And she's like, what are you, a wimp? I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, oh my God. I was like. It may be a what the fuck moment, but it is also perfectly in character. And then you get Nate at the end of the episode going, I'm more than the man you think I was with. She's playing him. But this is the thing. She's playing him by, like, using these fucking stereotypes of, like, men can't ask for help. And I'm like, God damn it. God damn it. Like, usually we have the joke of, like, you know, men will literally do X, Y, Z instead of go to therapy. And I'm like, this is the equivalent of him actually being like, hey, maybe therapy. And she was like, nah, mate. (laughs) What? And like, it works. It works perfectly. She plays him to a T and then he like does the flip of like, huh, well, clearly I'm better than you thought. And I'm like, fuck, babe, she's playing you. 
This is why you need therapy. So have I mentioned how Nate is Sam Supernatural coded? Oh my god, yeah. I, it's so accurate. <laughs> you like, all you have to it's do like, is I'm so him. smart, no woman could ever manipulate me into doing something. Oh my god. As a woman is actively manipulating him into doing something. I know. The, the self-gaslighting is unreal. <laughs> anyway, I promise that was the last thing. Please pivot us away wherever you want. I, so I did want to pivot us away. Specifically to the harness in Nate's wardrobe. Obsessed with that. There are two things that I want to talk about. One requires more discussion than the other. So I'm going to do the other first and then we can jump into the the, the first thing. Yeah. Parker wears the harness. She goes down. We go cut away, cut back, and she doesn't have the harness on anymore. Mm -hmm. Where the fuck does the harness go? I... Here is my thing about that. I'm assuming it, was, it gets well, retracted. This, yeah, but I but, mean, I guess it is Parker, so she could get out of a harness that quick. Like, yeah my my question was more like how the guy standing at the bar talking to McSweeten, who can obviously see Parker over his shoulder, doesn't even fucking blink. Like, but how Parker's a regular. Yeah, but I don't think like, she's I, regularly, like, rappelling down the building to get in the front door. Like, See, this is where you and me disagree. Oh, okay. Because Parker needs to train somewhere. Mm. I mean, I guess, but would you do it down the front of the building yeah. facing the traffic? Or would you do it out the back where people aren't going to go, what the fuck's that woman doing? <laughs> oh, like Parker regularly uses the bystander effect to her own benefit yeah i suppose but um what was your the second one is i think it's fascinating as a character choice for nate to have a harness in his wardrobe like yeah i find it interesting on two levels one i think it's interesting because like i don't know like a quick escape kind of thing and he makes the point to parker like what like you don't have one of these in your wardrobe and we already know we know she doesn't have one of those she's got a fucking rack she has a rack full yeah but the other thing is i'm like damn nate what you doing in that bedroom Imagine. As you go. To quote Sophie, <laughs> whips for me, handcuffs are for him. Oh, God. Yeah, literally. Oh, I don't want to think about that. That's like thinking about, like, your parents doing it. Like, I don't want to think about Nate and I hate, I, I hate to tell you, but it will come back and be relevant again later. Oh, my God. Don't tell me that. <laughs> Not mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The harness, I did, I did enjoy the fact that Parker was like, well, how the fuck am I going to do that? And Nate's like, um, you think I'm not prepared for this exact scenario? Like, where have you been the last three years, Parker? Come on. But I also think it's weird that Parker didn't know he had it. Yeah. Like, I feel like she should have known that or that she should have actually had her own harness stashed somewhere in Like the, the money the in building. the cereal box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my only thing. I was like, it feels weird that Nate has a harness stashed in here. Like, I think it would have been funny for him to go and get a harness and to come back and she's already got one. He's like, where did you get that? She's like, what, you think I don't Here's the thing. I think think she does have a harness in his house somewhere, but I think it's not in the bedroom. Yeah, that seems like an odd choice for her. For her to have in the bedroom. So I think she 100% has a harness somewhere in Nate's house, Mm -hmm. but she could not leave the bedroom because then Vector would see her and realise that she's not dead and then the whole con would be blown. Yes. So I 100% think she has, like... Like it's in like in the living room or something. Like you know, she a hundred percent has a harness. It's like under there. the couch. Yeah, like, yeah. Like so, I a hundred percent think she does have one. I just think yeah, she couldn't access it. So that's why she was kind of like, "What you just yeah. like? I know I have a harness here. Like what? Yeah, because like he doesn't typically do. I also love the relationship we have between Parker and Nate. It's such a wholesome yeah. like energy. It's very fun. I enjoy it. I really lot. love it because it's kind of like you've got like Parker and Archie. Which is like bad adoptive dad. Yeah. And now you've got like Nate and Parker, which is like good adoptive dad. Mm hmm. It's so much the John Bobby yeah. Dean triangle. <laughs> like, and Sam's in there too, but in this instance, like, you know. Oh, I do just want to say while we're talking about like Parker and that scene where she uses the harness, the vibes in the like handshake slash hug slash how the fuck do you greet someone who like you're kind of friends with, but they're like also. The vibes there are real. I know. Like, also, she's still wearing the death makeup, and I just think that's so funny. I'm like, you couldn't have wiped your lips on your way down. Like, she fully forgot. Like, here's the thing, that she probably wiped down her neck. Oh, her yeah, neck she doesn't have, just, have the bruises. She yeah. doesn't have the bruises anymore, but she just, like, probably completely forgot she was wearing, like, blue lipstick. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that her excuse, though, is, oh, that's because it's my cover with the Russians. It's been really cold there. I know. And I love that McSweetum is like, yeah, you're right. Like, he doesn't even fucking question it. Like, he's such a himbo. And yeah. I love that. 
I love it for him. There is literally so much himbo energy coming from Mick Sweeney in this episode. Honestly, it's a delight, as always. I also love the moment where Mick Sweeney's like, oh no, what a shame, I'm going to be stuck in an elevator with this girl I have a crush on. Oh my god, this is the worst day of my life. (laughs) And then she's immediately like, yeah, no, I'm climbing an elevator shaft to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Which, let's face it, made him fall in love with her more. Oh my god, yeah. I... I really hope we get to see Mick Sweeten end up with someone and be happy because, like, you know, it's just never going to happen with Parker, with Parker because, yeah. I just, what I'm imagining, what I'm imagining, and you can maybe cut this out if you don't want me to talk about more about Supernatural, but, you know, in 509 where at the end Becky and Chuck, like, hook up and yeah. she's saying to Sam, like, I'm sorry, like, it just couldn't work between us and Sam's like... Yeah, I, I'll, I'll find a way to move on, I guess. Like, that's the energy. I'm like, I want McSweetum to have to be like, you know, to Parker, like, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I met this other person and I really like them. And Parker be like, okay, good for you guys. While we're on McSweetum, I want to sidestep us slightly. I want to talk about uh, some other people being law enforcement this episode. Elliot and Hardison. I, I figured that's where you were going when I heard the segue. Yeah. Please continue. I love... They just, I don't know what it is about this episode, but their sibling energy is off the charts. It's, like, fucking phenomenal. The bickering, the, like, fucking Elliot, like, Hardison doing that, we, the police, and yeah. Hardison, and Elliot just being, like, yoink of the keys. I'm like, I'm driving, like. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I love it. Sibling. I love that they are having that whole argument in the car in front of the fugitive, and then, like, the fugitive is, like, super carsick or whatever, and they're like, shut up, like. It's, it's so funny. It really gave me um, the gone fishing job kind of mm. energy, which I love for them. But I also really enjoyed, like, the moment where, like, obviously Elliot has been going on about, like, I can't believe we have to take this detour kind of thing. And then as soon as that dispatch call comes in, he's like, we have to take it. There could be kids. And Elliot is so focused on the concept of, like, there could be children involved. Like, he's like, oh, they're adults. Let them fend for themselves. But there could yeah. be children. There's a weapon and they could be children. Mm-hmm. And then they show up and there is definitely no... And I love the the line, no, he can't have kids. He smokes too much weed. <laughs> you know, but, like, I really loved it because he really is. Like, I think he mentions it, like, four times. Like, he's focused on, like... There could be minors. Yeah. We have to make sure, like, there is someone with a weapon. Like, we actually could, you know, if we drive past yeah. this, we don't know if someone else is in the area. And I love that for him. I think it is very, like, true to his character. Honestly, what I was expecting was that he was just going to, like, throw the door open and roll fucking out and just go and let Hardison <laughs> keep going. Like, if Hardison wasn't going to pull over, I was just expecting Elliot to be like, all right, well, I'll just go myself then. And, like, go take care of it? No, instead he just grabs the wheel and yoinks it. So they're like, whee! <laughs> but no, they they take the call. Yeah. And then we meet some delightful side characters who are... Delightful's a choice word. Have, having a bit of a barmy. Bit of a domestic. Having a bit of a domestic. Yeah. I love they're like, we got a call about someone with a weapon. He's like, I'm not the one with the fucking weapon. She's the one with the weapon. <laughs> love the bat. The, the baseball bat, Hardison's relationship to the baseball bat, and also the fact that you can see the moment where, like, Elliot's like, fucking sit down, shut up, and, like, you see the, the switch change, and it's like, oh, well, we were pissed at each other before, but now... We have a common enemy. <laughs> yeah. I Part of me is a little... Like, I don't know how I feel about the genuine, like, potential domestic abuse happening being played for, like, a joke kind of thing. Mm. Like, it's not, like, fully played for a joke, but it is, like... I, I don't know how I feel about it. I would have to go back and rewatch it a couple of times, I think, to, like, fully understand how yeah. I'm going to do that think, one. I think, to be fair, it's not actually meant to be domestic violence. Like, I think... I think just having an argument. I think it's literally just there are bad people and they're not good for each other. And then she heard a rumor about him sleeping with her sister or whatever, which... Mm. And yeah. then, like, they just got into, like, an argument. Like, this is not like a... Yeah. Like, I don't this know. is just a... They're... Yeah. Sometimes people argue. There's a difference between having an argument with your spouse and it being like a domestic abuse incident. The thing that gets me is the baseball bat and also the fact that this doesn't seem like a once-off situation. Yeah. That's the bit that gets me. And, you know, whichever whichever way the abuse is going, I don't – I'm not here for it. But anyway, what I do like is that obviously, like, 
um, Elliot and Hardison are distracted. They leave the yeah. car. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, what are they going to do with this dude who's just in the back seat throwing up while they go deal with this dispatch? And then I was like, yeah, actually, that was a good thought to have, Bethany, because apparently they just left the fucking doors open and the guy just got out of the car, which is so funny. Though he's only got one shoe, which is so sand coated of him. But, like, at one point when they're, like, chasing him, like, a shoe goes flying. And I was like, whose shoe is that? And it is his. Yeah. So he clearly had both shoes, just wasn't wearing one of them. Like, <laughs> which is just a wild choice. Um, but we also have Hardison just fully forgetting that they were meant to also have, a like, a prisoner transport in the backseat. He's because he's like, we got the file, I got my bat. No, we're all good. Good to go. Check, check. Yeah. Ready to go. Ready then- to go. Elliot being like, don't you think we're fucking missing something? Peak sibling energy. And Elliot's got the little fucking ponytail underneath his cap. Like, iconic, honestly. I love it for them. Oh, I, I, there is one bit of this that we haven't discussed that is very important Mm -hmm. of Elliot and Hardison as the cops is Elliot's little whisper into the, the Mark's ear of, oh yeah, Moreau would like to speak with you, which obviously... Freaks him the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Especially considering this is about dirty cops. So it's yeah. like, it's not a far stretch of the imagination to imagine that one of the dirty cops managed to get yeah. in on there. And also the fact that Elliot knows how Moro does things. So, like, clearly he knows some things. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, done his research. He knows what's happening. Like, he is specifically, like... Like, yeah. he knows they're going up against Moreau, and he's like, I need to be prepared for this. So he's obviously already done some recon. Yeah. Actually, one thing that I forgot to mention is that I really appreciated we get to see Elliot utilizing his, like, observation skills in this episode. Like, he immediately knows that they're dirty cops, and he knows it because of the shoes. And, like, it's such a – you know how we have that joke about Elliot being, like, it's a very distinctive haircut yeah. or whatever. Like, it's that – but he in, just didn't say it's a very distinctive type of shoe, yeah, basically. But it's the same thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting that I... It's the same observational skills he's pulling on. Mm, and it's also, like, you know, in the moment where he's, like, Hardison make it dark kind of mm. thing. Like, he knows back to front, you know, the scenarios that he's getting himself into. He knows the, like, best way to get in and out. And I think it's a really nice way to, like, very subtly highlight and remind the audience, like, not only is Elliot good in a fight, but what makes him so good is his observation skills and his ability to read a situation and plan the best response before the other person even knows that there is a situation. Like he is aware, like minutes ahead of the opposition of what is about to go down. And that's, I think, part of what makes him so good because he has already outlined what he wants them to do And he knows how he's going to make them do it. So they think that they're reacting to him in the moment, but they're actually reacting to a plan he made five minutes ago. He is so many steps ahead. And it's all because of something that most people like Hardison would like, how often are you inspecting people's shoes? Yeah. You know, not very often. Like, (laughs) okie dokie. So while we're also talking about Elliot, I want to talk about the other long haired hitter we get in this episode. Because long haired hitters... This is the first real example we've got of it, but we've got a couple more examples coming up, Mm -hmm. which is, like, it's really weirdly specific, but they all have, like, the same haircut as Elliot, and they're all hitters, and it's... They all go to the same hairdresser, like... (laughs) There's there's one character that we will talk about later on where it's like, oh, well, did they... Because, like, we we meet them, Mm -hmm. and then we meet them a second time. And the second time they have hair almost identical to Elliot. So so it's like, did he meet Elliot? And then go and, like, did he copy his hair? <laughs> You're like, hmm, I like that look. Where can I get it? Yeah. That's so funny. I love that. I wouldn't have noticed that. Oh, I do want to kind of talk about the sniper, though, because it did make me realise I don't know that they will be able to stay in the building after this season. Mm. Because, like, Nate's whole apartment just got fucking shot out by a sniper. Like... It's okay. He's chill with the landlord. Well, <laughs> yeah. They've got a they've got a good relationship, but you know, like it does make me think like that's probably a bit compromised, you know? Yeah. I but, think they would have to and like that kind of makes like, me Like here's sad. the thing though, I'm like actually kind of surprised they hadn't moved from this like from this already. Yeah, they've been there a while. Because they've been there a while and Sterling knows where the base is. 
Yeah. So I think, like, this season, honestly, they're kind of just relying on the fact that because the Italian wants them to take down Moreau, the Italian's also going to... Circumvent any potential like, hazards. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, that, like... Though, to be fair, though, the sniper doesn't know that's Nate's apartment. Yeah. He just knew Mark Vector was there because he cloned the phone and he's been tracking him. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is a fun little segue. So, Vector, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Vector is not... What is actually interesting about the name Vector that they chose is, like, if you think of it in terms of uh, disease, I like that we both went for, like, different (laughs) routes, but along the same line. Like, if you think of a Vector, so, like, you know, you think of, like, uh, for example, the bubonic plague, right? The rats were, like, were, like, the Vectors, basically. They're, like, wait, hang on, let me double check the the definition of Vector, because I'm not sure if it was the rat or the tick was the Vector. Um, I only think of Vectors in terms of math. As in terms of, like, the meeting point is a vector. Okay, yeah. So there was the tick was the vector. So, like, if you have a, a vector, right, in, like, biological terms, like, I actually looked up the definition, so I'm just going to read it here. But it's an organism, typically a biting insect or tick, that transmits a pathogen, disease, or a parasite from one animal or plant to another. I think it's really interesting to have that be his name and have him be moving money. Yeah. Because I think that so much of what makes this whole criminal underground network, like, the motivation for them is money, right? Is wealth. They're not just committing all these crimes for the shits and giggles of it all. They are making bank off of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting to have this guy be literally named Vector and be moving the dirty money around, you yeah. know? And so in the same way that you would like, because that's the power, right? And so it's the same way that it would be like the, the disease being moved around. It's the thing that causes the effect. And I just think that that's really interesting. I I assume it was unintentional, I, but I just it was what my brain thought of. However, it wasn't the first thing my brain thought of. The first thing my brain thought of was Vector, like from Despicable Me 2. <laughs> and then he was wearing like red the whole episode. And he was like this, this guy with like all this money. I was like, oh my God, it's literally Vector from Despicable Me 2. I was like... This guy's going to whip out a fucking freeze ray in a minute. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, though, Despicable Me 2 came out after this. Oh, my God. So Despicable Me 2 is actually yeah, based this on is... this episode of Leverage. Despicable Me <laughs> was 2013. It did make me want to go back and rewatch the Despicable Me franchise. Yeah, and this was 2010. Damn, ahead of its time. <laughs> Psychic Leverage. <laughs> you know what we, movie we should actually watch, though? What? Megamind. Oh my god, Naomi fucking wants me to watch Megamind so bad. Actually, honestly, Megamind as a... It's an underrated masterpiece. Well, I actually think that Megamind, like, watching Megamind, because, again, like, this is actually a movie that I really have... I saw once when I was a small child. I don't remember it that well. I think it could be a fun side plot. Like, not side plot, but it could be a fun, like, what's the word? Like, supplemental reading, essentially, of Leverage. Like, Mm. from what I remember of Megamind... (laughs) I feel like it actually supplements leverage quite well. So maybe we should. Anyway, getting away from children's media. I I just, I do want to point out the fact that they are arguing, like, Hardison's like, no, it's definitely the Vegas wake-up call. All episode about this fucking con. It's like, mate, stay in your lane. Mm. If Sophie says it's the Cuban sandwich, it's the Cuban sandwich. Like, I'm sorry, but Sophie does this for the, like, this is her job. Yeah, but I also think that it's interesting that they keep mentioning the Vegas, because I'm like, okay, is that going to be, like, is that going to end up being important? Like, is that a con? Because I don't think it's, from what they say about it, I'm like, I don't think this is a con we've seen. No. So it makes me wonder if it's going to be one we will see at some point. Like, regardless if it's, like, this season, but I'm like, it would be interesting if they end up doing it, and then, like, they could kind of call back to this. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, Leverage is, again, like, one of those shows where, like, throwaway bits typically ha- mean something yeah. long arcing long yeah. overarching things which is like i don't think they're necessarily planned out but it's definitely like the writers of the show really love looking back at what they've already done mm-hmm. and being able to like call back and refer to what they've already done to sort of it make makes, it feel more cohesive make it feel it's more like retroactive foreshadowing yeah like which we talk about a lot for supernatural but like yeah it's fun when writers go back and they're like oh this like one throwaway like let's make it actually relevant yeah because then when you go back and you do a rewatch, you're like, oh my god, that's fun, you know? Okay, there is two more things that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I no. just talked about one. Uh, well, there are, but that's not worth it. Okay, 
There's one more thing that I just really want to touch on this episode. I feel like we kind of glossed over it. Like we vaguely talked about it, but I think we actually, we actually have to talk about it. From this point on, them going after Moreau is a choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we like acknowledge it and the implications of that because previously, like if the job went bad, mm-hmm. it's it's obviously on Nate for the job going bad because the plan didn't work. But also, it's they had no choice. No matter like they they had a deadline, they had a goal. They had to have the goal completed by the deadline. Mm-hmm. So if something went wrong because they didn't have adequate time to prepare, or the like the goal was not attainable, or whatever for whatever reason, there is an underlying excuse which was like we didn't choose this. If we could have done this our way, our way we would have been successful. They no longer have that that. I have a question mm-hmm. because I don't remember, but you've seen this show one million times. So okay. if anyone's going to know, it's going to be you. Do we know who the Italian works for? At this point, no. We haven't gotten any confirmation about who the Italian works for. Because I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. And this is this may be based in nothing. Yeah. I'm not very good at predicting things is what I'm learning. <laughs> to be fair, I'm comparing myself to you and you're uncannily good at predicting things. So The, key, the key is volume. Yeah. <laughs> it's law of statistics. If you predict approximately 2 million things per episode, at least four of them have to be right. Okay, hear me out. If we don't know who the Italian is working for, mm-hmm. we don't know who she was calling at the end of the episode, no. well, what if she is working for Moreau? Like, hear me out. Like, Nate and his crew are going about and taking out all of these, like, smaller, like, criminal mm-hmm. organisations. But, like, we've been talking about, like, obviously, because you've been asking me all season, like, how does this relate to Moreau? There are, like, connections, right? Yeah. Which means that even if they hadn't been put on to Moreau, they may have eventually stumbled into him anyway. And he doesn't need that. I think that there is a possibility that it's a, like, a very convoluted kind of double cross. Yeah. Where he's setting them up, but he knows they're coming. Because here's the thing, we get confirmation explicitly in this episode that Damien Moreau was planning on killing Mark Vector anyway. Yeah. So my thought is that quite potentially the Italian is working for Moreau and he's basically just trying to be five steps ahead and be like, well, I'll put these guys on my trail, but then... I I know they're coming. I've got control over it because I know what information I'm feeding them. Mm -hmm. I know which one of my low-lying henchmen I'm feeding to the dogs, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're almost, like, taking out his trash for them. And, like, the way that she says, like, our hands are clean Mm -hmm. kind of makes me think that, yeah, maybe he's basically using them to clean up his trash. Mm -hmm. That he's like, oh, this person is expendable or, like, I've been looking for a reason to get rid of this person. Or, like, oh, this is not actually, like, for whatever intricate reason, like, looking at the bigger picture of his crime syndicate, you know, this particular branch needs to go. Like, mm-hmm. and the way that, like, Nate and the crew take care of these people is they make it look legit, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Moreau's approach is clearly much more like, I'll send out a hitman kind mm-hmm. of thing. But that's messy. Yeah. People are going to ask questions, and then you're going to have people who aren't dirty cops looking into it. You're going to have the feds looking into it. You're going to end up with Interpol looking into it, you know, depending on how far it stretches. So, and the last thing he needs is that. So by manipulating Nate's crew into literally doing his dirty work for him, taking out, like, they're still doing good things because they are taking out criminals, but they are taking out the ones he wants them to. Mm. Like pruning a rose bush, you know? Like, if you don't prune it, it doesn't grow back properly kind of thing. So it's just, like, it didn't occur to me until literally this mm. conversation, but I think that that is a so genuine think possibility. So you literally like a Ruby situation? Almost, yeah. Like, like literally, like, the Italian is Ruby and Damien Moreau is Lilith. Lilith. Like, yeah. Basically, mm. like, he's lining them up to, quote-unquote, take him out at the right moment, except he knows and he wants, like, like it honestly, it could even be a case of, like, he kind of, like, wants to retire and he's like i'm gonna fake my own death kind of thing like Moriarty quote yeah literally like and that's me just that's a long shot my more serious thought is that i think that he recognizes that they are a threat and so he's going to use them to tie up his loose ends and and then get rid of them them. Mm -hmm. and because of the nature of who they are like 
because they are doing this stuff as off the grid as possible, people are not going to notice the same way if he sends hitmen after them mm-hmm. as they would if he sends hitmen after prominent public figures. Like it's Mark Vector. Like Mark Vector. It's Famous weird. hockey player and... Yeah. He shows up dead in an apartment under suspicious circumstances. That's going to be front yeah. like, of front of paper news. Yeah. But... But he loses it in a courtroom. Mm. It's going to be front... Like... It's front paper news, but it just looks like he had a psychotic break instead yeah. of someone tried to kill him. Yeah. And that's very different, right? And so really the only like loose end with that is that he's counting on a hitman being able to take out Elliot. Mm. But if he And we all know that like Hitman trying to take out Elliot is not a great track record for the Hitman. Yeah. Because if he doesn't tell them, how are they gonna improve? But even but even in that even if he can't take out Elliot in that sense, he can definitely take out everyone else if he gets them separated. Like, if he breaks up the team, which if they're manipulating them in this way, it would not be impossible to do. Like, if he knows they're coming, then Sophie's comms are not going to work. Mm-hmm. Nate's master plan is not going to work because they already know it. Yeah. Like, and so even if they can't take out Elliot in that particular way, if they take out the other members of the crew or otherwise incapacitate the other members of the crew, that leaves Elliot to do it all by himself. And he can't do that. Not at this scale. Mm-hmm. So obviously I'm not telling you anything about this. Yeah, sorry. I'm going down a rabbit hole. That's, that's okay. I am loving the rabbit <laughs> hole. But I do just want to put in a small piece of evidence against your theory just okay. to see how you can fit it in. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think it's fun. Um, We do get in this episode that the Italians, like, our hands are clean. They're going after Moreau with Alice, and that's a good thing. I don't know if that would necessarily be a good thing if she's trying to manipulate the team into going after Moreau. Mm. Because if if the idea is that then Moreau knows exactly what the team's doing and they're, like, two steps ahead, they're not going to necessarily know what the team's doing if they've now, like, been like, no, fuck you, not working with the Italian. Okay, hear me out. What if Moreau is an alias? Like, what if Moreau... What if the Italian's Moreau? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in a in a mm-hmm. kind of Jane the Virgin, yeah. Rose kind of situation. Like, what if, what if Moreau is literally an alias and doesn't exist? Like, because mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, you're not you, gonna... Did you ever watch Elementary? No. But I have been told I should. Maybe that'll you be should. our next. <laughs> I... After Ted Lasso and Chuck. And <laughs> I like this idea where... And I am glad that you brought that up because that does throw a spanner in the works of my theory of it. But I'm kind of enjoying this concept of it being that little bit trickier with like, okay, this whole time we've been going up against Moreau. But like, honestly, you're the head of a crime syndicate. You're not going to use your real fucking name, are you? That'd be stupid. Like you would admit, like... It's the same as like, Sophie is not Sophie. It's like... Yeah. So... You're trying to con people out of how much... Like you... You, you want a name that can't be traced back to anything specific. Yeah. And, like, if you're a Parker, that's fine because, like, you're so far removed from sort of where your name come from that it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. not that Parker is her real Like, she's... Like, the we fact no that first... Nate literally goes by his real name yeah. is actually so dumb. It's so... Yeah. <laughs> like, it's actually stupid. But, you know, like, TV, blah, blah, but it's dumb. But... Yeah, like, it does make me wonder if Moreau is actually just essentially, like, smoke and mirrors, kind of like the Wizard of Oz sort of thing. And whether or not the Italian is Moreau, because she says on the phone, like, they're going to go after Moreau without us. Yeah. Which would indicate, like, at least she has some kind of partner. Yeah. But, like, that person she's talking to could be Moreau, or, like, she could be Moreau and is talking to someone who, like, is her partner in crime or otherwise. Like, I don't know. It's, it's tricky and convoluted, and I'm so sure that it'll all make sense in, like, a couple of weeks when I've actually seen the episodes, but this is, this is, I am really glad we got some actual plot, because this is the most fun I've had speculating about what's yeah. happening with Moreau in a while, because we have, like, I have something a bit more to play around with. I have a bit more context, a bit more information. They've given me a lead, and whether or not I've gone in the right direction or the complete fucking wrong direction, I, it's hard to know. It's impossible to know, actually. But Because they um, haven't given you the information yet. Yeah, but they've given me enough to speculate with, which is more than I've had the rest of this fucking season. So I'm having quite a fun time right now. Okay, well, I had nothing else to add on this episode. Do you have anything else that you would like to add on this episode? No, I think that's about it. All right, lovely. So how would you rate the morning after job out of five? Oh, I actually didn't come up with a rating ahead of time. I... I think, unprepared, so unprofessional. I you, know. you fired from the podcast. 
I think I'm gonna give it a three and a half. And I my yeah, reasons yeah. my my reasons for this is I didn't actually mention it earlier, but I do think that the second half of this episode is much stronger than the first half. Yeah. And so if the whole episode was as strong as I think the second half is, I would have given it a four. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think that the first half, for some reason, I don't know, just didn't hit right. Mm. No, fair. That's absolutely fine. So the really hard question this week, how do you think this episode ties into Moro? Oh, man. I'm Slash, gonna... do you think it ties into Moro? I, fucking, I, I would hope so. At this point, look... Here's the thing. I think, yes, obviously it does tie into Moreau. Like, obviously, they basically outline it for us yep. that it does. I I don't think I have any much anything much more to add on that than I've already just kind of rabbit-holed about. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that... I assume that whether or not the Italian woman is Moreau or is working with Moreau or, like, whatever, like, obviously some shit is about to go down with it. I mean, also, we're coming up to the end of the season, so, like, no duh. Yeah, we've got three episodes left after this point. Yeah, so it's, like, not fucking shocking. It's not exactly a leap (laughs) to say that, like, obviously things are heating up. Like, that's just how television works, baby. That's just a narrative. But, um, yeah, obviously it connects. I've got no real concrete idea on how it does. I just have... Other than what they've exactly told you, which is now he's got Moro's bank account numbers. Like... Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, Nate says that he's going to make a withdrawal to give the, like, victim of the week their money back. And honestly, that kind of seems a bit... Like, that seems like a way that they're tying themselves to that dirty money, which seems like maybe Mm. not the greatest idea. But also, I mean, we've seen them do this before, so I guess it's kind of like, obviously, Harbison has a way to cover his tracks. Yeah. But in another sense, I'm like, ooh, maybe you shouldn't have told her that. Like, because now they're going to know what amount and funds and stuff to look at specifically. So I don't know if that's going to end up biting them in the bum later on. Um, Anyway. I don't really, I don't really know. There's a lot going yeah. on. I'm excited to see how it pans out. I think it does relate to Moreau because I'd be silly if I didn't. Yeah. But I, I more have, I more have like a list of things in my mind that I think would be really fun possibilities mm-hmm. than I do an actual concrete theory, if that makes sense. No, that's absolutely okay. Next week's episode is called The Ho 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 Job. What on earth do you think it's about, Beth? I actually said this to you earlier and I'm going to reiterate it here because like I just my thought hasn't really changed through this discussion but I have a theory that essentially this is going to be like a diehard spoof of an episode just because I think like the nature of what leverage is as a show would lend itself quite well to doing that kind of like spoofy episode and also coming up so close to the finale of the season obviously things are heating up and that Typically, what a lot of shows will do is, like, right before shit really hits the fan, they'll have, like, a kind of fun episode to kind of give the audience a break from all of the intense drama before, like, shit really goes down in the final couple of episodes. I'm assuming that's what this episode is going to be. I think it's going to be a bit of fun. I think it's going to be not necessarily a break from the usual format, but I do think that we're going to maybe get something that's a little bit more like out of left field in terms of how the plot goes down. I think it could be fun like to maybe get, we really haven't had like Sterling much this season. Mm. I think it could be fun to get him or like Maggie or like another recurring character we haven't seen in a while. Like, I don't know, like we could even maybe get Tara back Mm -hmm. because I think that this is kind of the last opportunity they have to do that kind of thing before we hit like the final, final episodes of the season where obviously shit is going to go down. So, yeah, I'm expecting kind of like a a more fun, lighthearted mm-hmm. so, episode. Maybe Die Hard, probably Christmas, maybe a filler. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's Christmas, like, I mean, it's a ho-ho-ho it, job. Yeah. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us today. If you want to interact with us at all, you can find us on all sorts of social media platforms including all over our Discord server. All of the links will be in our link trick in the description of this episode. And also, Spotify has put out this fun new feature, which we learned about recently. You can actually give us feedback directly through Spotify. So if you're listening through that platform, let us know what what you think. But suggested topics of conversation include... Oh, man, my immediate thought was to be like, do you think that the Italian is actually working for Moreau? But I can't ask them that because they fucking know. They they can. They can actually talk to you about that because you will have probably seen the finale by that point. By the time Ooh. this goes live, Beth 
Yeah, tell me what you think of my theory. Because we are we are at least three weeks ahead recording at the moment. So Beth will have seen the end of the season, so you can talk to her about that theory. Yeah, let that me is, know. That will be fully allowed. And you'll get some spoilers for the next couple of weeks' episodes. Mm. But I can guarantee, and if if you can't, if we for some reason we get massively far behind on our recordings, we will tell you. Mm. But as we stand currently, Beth will 100% have seen the end of the season and will know how... Everything ties together for Moreau. Um, so that will be that will be fun. That yeah. Be fun um, Tell me if you like my rabbit hole theory. Yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's like, regardless of whether or not it's true, I think it's a very fun theory. Yeah. I'm into it. Um, what's, another, what's another thing? Oh, what was your p- favorite Parker moment this season? Like, oh. not this season, this, this episode specifically, because this episode had some stellar Parker moments. Oh, they, she really was living her best life this episode. Oh, um, who was your MVP of the episode? Was it Hardison or was it someone else? Was it the attorney? Yeah. Was it, you know, Elliot? Was it Sophie? Was it Nate? Was it the victim of the week? You know, who was it? Was it the sniper? Was it Vector? The was it the cops? Italian? The, was it Moreau? The, the prisoner who was vomiting in the backseat of the cop car? Yeah. You know, who's your real MVP? I want to know. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening this week. Please join us again next week for the ho, ho, ho job. But until then, have a lovely day, night, morning, evening, afternoon, midnight, 3 a.m., 2 a.m., breakfast, lunch, brunch, afternoon, tea, dinner, dessert, whatever time of the day and all night. Appetizer. Appetizer, <laughs> etc. Bye. Bye. Damn, we got everything but the after dinner mint. Like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>